Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Pays to Know podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bradley, and I'm joined today by Payrock Executive Vice President Jared Paulson. And we are going to be discussing the evolution of the merchant services and acquiring industry, agent to ISO to manage payfacts. Jared's had more than two decades of experience, and he also offers a unique perspective on the future of merchant payments, including embedded finance and cryptocurrencies. Really happy to have Jared with us. So uh, welcome, Jared. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, Jared, let's just start with yourself, your background, and how you came to uh, end up at Payrock. And I think folks would be really interested to hear about you know your sort of career and business trajectory. Sure thing. Uh, hard to believe it's been almost 23 years now, but back in the late 90s, I was part of a startup gateway called iTransact, and we were we were in the basement at the time. It was the dot com boom. We were helping facilitate online payments, and we were able, fortunately, to... I had a professor at college who was an angel investor. Uh, We took him a business plan, and he got us in front of a group that allowed us to raise some money and get out of the basement. And from there, the online gateway uh, company, iTransact, we grew and diversified into merchant services. And it was about 2003... Uh, we became an ISO for retriever payment systems. And that's when I first met Jim Oberman, who is the CEO now of Payrock. And through the years, we had been through a couple of mergers and acquisitions. And about six years ago, when Jim Oberman left uh, as an executive of Vantiv to take Payrock to the next level, iTransact was their first acquisition. And so I came on board with Payrock and now help lead out the integrated payments channel uh, for the last few years at Payrock. And it's been an exciting time. Payments can sometimes be a little bit boring, <laughs> and uh, but technology really has helped payments become exciting in the last few years again, um, especially with the different models, alternative payments that, uh, that are coming out that we'll talk about. Um, and now Payrock, we've been through, gosh, since that last six years, we've grown tremendously from maybe $4 billion in processing volume all the way to over $65 billion in processing volume. And uh, it's been quite the ride uh, and really an enjoyable one at that. But yeah, long time in the industry. Yeah, interesting. Uh, some parallels with my own career. I started with, with Visa years ago and, and found my way to a gateway company as well, um, CyberSource, and then ultimately... Uh, back to Visa in 2010 when Visa acquired CyberSource. So I think you, you brought up your company's evolution from sort of gateway to, to also an ISO. And maybe this is a good place for us to start is just to sort of ground ourselves in what exactly is, is an ISO model, or at least how it's perceived today. I think that'd be helpful for folks. And Jared, maybe you can touch a little bit about agent agency as well. That That is also pretty common or has been. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like that was the model um, in the in the early 2000s. The place to go was to become an ISO, an independent sales organization. And that allowed businesses to register with the card brands and represent themselves and their sponsor bank uh, to the payments world and go out and collect merchant business from, you know, the old model 
it started out as knocking on doors and, and then quickly has adapted into more successful referral-based programs. But as an ISO, you partner with a, a an acquirer and they give you the permission to represent them to, to the business market in trying to acquire merchant services from these folks. And underneath an ISO, an ISO can have many agents um, that work for an ISO and those agents often compared to insurance agents, right? They go out and they, through their relationships and, and hard work, are able to sign merchants for processing deals and uh, share in the revenue uh, that those, the merchant processing volume that they do each month. Um, it's been a, a tried and true model. It's still one that has a lot of years left. And although people have written off the ISO model multiple times over the last 20 years, we, at least at Payrock, feel that it's uh, still a very viable model and, and therefore support quite a few ISOs and agents within the, the Payrock ecosystem. Yeah. So what do you think's changing with the, with the ISO model? What do ISOs need to be thinking about uh, going forward? Maybe is another way to ask that question. Well, I, I mean, it's a good question because one thing that ISOs have done a good job at is adapt to changing market conditions. And what we've seen over the last few years is rather than just being able to represent a payment processor and go try to sell a terminal or reprogram an existing terminal, a lot of businesses in the last few years are turning to software to power their their business. So successful ISOs uh, that don't have their own uh, software in a particular vertical that they chase, they are left trying to find or partner with acquirers that can provide them these types of partnerships. Uh, for instance, if you traditionally would go after a, uh, a gym merchant and go in there and say, hey, you know, let us give you a bid on your merchant processing um, and we'll reprogram your existing terminal. Well, nowadays, most gyms are run by a software that manages the, the gym and their members, their marketing, et cetera. And most softwares are turning towards embedded payments as a part of the software offering. So it's difficult for an ISO now to walk into any business and say, let me uh, do a bid on your merchant processing without also having to keep in mind that they are probably running on a software platform. And if their acquirer does not support that particular software platform, it's very difficult to get that merchant to switch over because that means more than just switching their payments, they have to switch their software completely around. So we've seen in the ISO world, a huge shift to ISOs coming at least to us at Payrock to say, hey, you guys have some partners, you are integrated with a number of software uh, providers in certain verticals, and can we have access to those software platforms and, and resell those software, or at least when we're out doing a bid for a particular vertical uh, or a particular merchant, we, we have something to bring them rather than just, let's try and swap out your terminal or try to save you some money. It's, uh, it's much more of a, an entire platform play. Yeah, and that, that's certainly you know, a real secular trend that we here at Infinicept have observed. And frankly, if, you know, our, our strategy, our go-to-market strategy is to support that change. You know, software-led payments is a term we, we strongly believe in. Well, you know, Mike, the, 
in addition to that, the good ISOs traditionally had um, strong referral partnerships, you know, entities that would refer merchants in on a consistent basis. And those referral partnerships often now are software companies. That's where the merchants are coming. They're, they're coming to a restaurant software. And so in, in order to do payments, these referral partners are saying, hey, we need to embed payments. And so often ISOs will refer in software companies now as the referral partner to say, these guys need to monetize payments and can we help them? And so it, it definitely adds an additional layer of complexity and, and technicality to, to the traditional ISO model. Yeah. So if we reflect on what those change agents, those drivers of transformation, I mean, it's really about the software platform, specialized software platforms and merchant verticals, payments being embedded in those software platforms. And that has had implications for ISOs to evolve and adapt, probably becoming more, leaning more into tech, understanding how to integrate payments into business processes supported by those software platforms. And I think that sort of leads into the next topic is, you know, if we look at both, you know, ISOs and their relationships with software platforms or the software platforms themselves, we've started to observe sort of the rise of the interest in, in payment facilitator model. Um, and also a model, I think the industry has recently started coining as, you know, managed payback, PF Lite. And so, you know, maybe that's worth sort of drilling into a bit more. Jared, what have you observed with sort of the evolution of a payment facilitator um, and this concept of, of managed payback? Yeah, it's been quite the change. Um, when the payment facilitation model kind of hit the scene 10, 12 years ago, um, I actually, back at iTransact, set iTransact up as a payment facilitator through, through Vantive. And we were essentially just an ISO and, and a gateway. But we had a couple verticals that just needed quick onboarding. And so we set up that relationship. And we have seen that over the, the last five, six, seven years now, the push towards payment facilitation. And what most software companies do a good job at is building their software, building their core competency in software. And they often um, either at the leadership level or the board level will then say, well, we need to become a payment facilitator as well. And they'll reach out and have these conversations with us and say, well, our board says we need to become a payment facilitator. We need to monetize payments. What do I got to do? After a brief conversation with them, though, I would say nine times out of 10, most of them do not actually need nor want to become a full registered payment facilitator and take on all of the risk, all of the compliance, all of the complexities, the funding, the settlement, in addition to the support that's required to be your own registered payment facilitator. And instead, what they're really looking for is some slick onboarding. How do we board our merchants quickly? How do we make sure they transact smoothly? And then how can we get some sort of reporting on that that we can then pull back the data into our own platform for our clients to go in and, and manage and work with? And those three things are now what we call kind of a managed payfac, which is we want the boarding experience, the transacting and reporting experience of a payfac, but we don't want to take on compliance or risk or underwriting or settlement or funding. 
And so a managed payfac will now, uh, or a software company will come in and have a much easier time entering embedded payments through a managed payfac as a stepping stone to, as they grow and if they hit certain uh, volumes, it, then down the road, it might make sense for them to transition some of those roles and responsibilities in-house and become a full payment facilitator. But it is a, a definite good stepping stone to start as a managed payfac. Yeah, I like how you put that. I mean, it's really about creating an experience for their merchants that you know many of these companies are seeking. And whether or not it's a payment facilitator model, you know, I think you get into issues and questions about readiness and willingness to invest in those operational needs, right? Risk and compliance. And certainly, you know, in our experience in Infinicep, there's sort of certain payment volume thresholds where it starts making sense for these companies if they're really looking at payments as a strategic plank to their business. But yeah, certainly the managed PF model is one that is really, really logical for companies looking to sort of evolve their maybe existing, you know, foray into payments and absorb more opportunities and control over the the experience they give their their downstream merchants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at Payrock, you touched a bit about your experience, but as you guys view the market, you know, what are some of some big trends or opportunities that you guys are seeking to address with respect to either managed payfac or full payfac? What what is it that is on sort of the forefront of of your radar in terms of servicing, you know, market opportunities? Sure. So, you know, Payrock, we fill a, a pretty good niche in the market where while we're a top 10 acquirer uh, in the U.S., we aren't as big as, uh, say, you know, WorldPay or Fiserv or Global. Great companies. They've done amazing things in this industry, but they also often are looking for larger opportunities. Payrock has filled a, a pretty good void there where, as I mentioned before, software companies coming in and saying, Tell us about the payfax space and what do we got to know and where do we want to start? And we have employed a this crawl, walk, run strategy and scenario with these software companies to say, look, if you, you know, at the basic level, you can simply refer clients over to us and we'll, we'll handle it from there. The next step, obviously, is, is more of a managed payfax where you take our APIs, integrate your software to those APIs so that one, we are transacting um, through your software platform and two, we're boarding. You can send us the merchant data through a boarding API and we return a merchant ID and then we can do the same with reporting. And in that step, you don't have to take on risk compliance, underwriting funding. And then as you grow, we are more than willing to help you grow into that full registered payfac um, and take more roles and responsibilities. And I think we've we found a, a real void in the market in being able to, one, be creative, but then two, be flexible with the type of program we build so that they can almost a la carte, pick and choose certain features and functions that they want to bring in-house when they're ready until they have you know, become a full payfac themselves and are, and are off and, and running, doing it all themselves. 
that's one way that Payrock has differentiated ourselves. Um, in addition to that, I would say that we definitely built our reputation on relationship. And usually each of our software partners that come to us, um, they develop a relationship with an executive like myself who helps oversee that entire process while we're also assigning solution architects to them and partner managers to then guide and be escalation points for them to help them grow in, in their journey uh, with embedded payments. So we see that opportunity only growing. I think it was actually Dina Rich at Infinicept who in, a, in an industry meeting uh, a month or so ago mentioned that 75% of new merchants being boarded come through some type of payback relationship which is astounding. I mean, that's that just shows you the strength in this type of model and the fact that the future is very bright for the PayFAC model. And if we can start as a managed PayFAC and get them there, that's the goal. Yeah, I think that's so critical, that, that ability to provide an evolutionary path for a client, right, or a, a partner they have at various times uh, and, and oftentimes regardless of their size in terms of revenue or staff they have varying appetites about what sorts of business processes they're willing to take on and be responsible for you know in our worldview we've seen very small companies become very successful payfacts and we see very large companies being quite content to have a managed pf business right so i, I think that's very, very differentiating, and I think one that, that the market certainly is demanding. And I think the other point you mentioned, Jared, about sort of the relationships and providing that, that guidance, you know, getting into payments, if your core business is software platforms for running you know, hair salons or, or you know, gyms, understanding the world of payments is, can be really, really challenging. So having a structure and a business that helps folks a get educated and b um, have a partner on a journey is significant. I think you hit the nail on the head there. We we've seen a there's a pitfall for software companies that come in and try to do too much in payments too quickly because their core competency is their software. And if you are a, a salon a software, focus on that and be the best you can be there. And Yes, embed payments, have that as a part of your offering, but do not become a payments company right away. I mean, make sure that you establish yourself first as an excellent software in that market and in that vertical and never lose that focus. We've seen companies lose focus there and they end up transforming from a great software and a great vertical into a payments company um, and become beholden to payments to power their business rather than software. So make sure as a word of caution to avoid those pitfalls. We've seen that from time to time. And um, those that are successful, they focus on their software. That's like you said, that's their core competency. Be great there and then take on payments as that allows. Yeah. I'm interested to get your perspective on, you know, as we look out in the future, it approaches us very quickly. Uh, so, so things we think that might happen three to five years, uh, we start seeing demand and or opportunity for it in the immediate term. But how do you view sort of those traditional players, you know, the FISs and five serves 
relative to, to maybe some of the upper comers. I mean, we there's so many fintech players. You know, off the top of my head, I can't recall what last two quarters of, of funding in fintech, but it's certainly in the tens of billions of dollars. How do you see that? You know, that ecosystem playing out between sort of the traditional players and the the, the new upstarts. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's been interesting that fintech has has started to become more tech fin, right? And I I think we'll we'll see that continue for the next few years. The payments market is so attractive, especially in times like this, where there's, you know, some contraction in the economy that potentially even could become recessionary um, and other world events that make people quite nervous. But the payments industry is has always been such a strong source of durable cash that it's always going to attract um, investment. It's I think that we'll see further consolidation over the next few years. It may have slowed down uh, this year, but there's still plenty of capital to be deployed in this space for players that one can capitalize on embedded finance as well as demonstrate an ability to execute. And, you know, for, uh, for us and ourselves, we not only are we you know, working on uh, with software companies on embedding uh, finance or managed payback, but we've also invested in plenty of them. If there are verticals and if they're a, a management team that we believe in, we've, we've been creative that way to really secure a partnership and say, well, let's not only will we help you with payments, let's, let's help your business in general. Um, and see where it leads from there. And so I think uh, given a, maybe a little bit of a timeout here this year, if things can recover nicely, which we all uh, hope they will and, and are confident that they will, that we'll see at least over the next few years, more technology-driven payments continue to dominate this space uh, along with further acquisition and partners who can execute on those uh, embedded payment strategies will uh, we'll start to stand head and shoulders above the rest. I agree with a lot of your thoughts. You know, I, I just think back to my my own career, and you know how much economic volatility we've experienced. Right, both of us have sort of in the same generation, and yet you know the payment industry continues to find new opportunities for growth, really driving efficiency in you know economic transactions. And there's still, as you well know, there's still a ton of friction to be solved for, particularly, you know, sort of in the acquiring processor world, um, cross-border, still a lot of friction and a lot of opportunity to bring down the cost of payment and and reduce complexity. But you touched on something, uh, a comment you made, Jared, around embedded finance. I'd love to sort of double-click on that. What's your view of embedded finance and how that relates to payment providers? I mean, obviously, we've got great examples of Square slash Block or Block slash Square and Stripe really leaning into this. But is this a segment that you see as a you know sort of table stakes for for payment providers? Uh, absolutely, and with embedded finance, it starts to become more than just a transaction pulling money. And, and depositing money for a sale. Um, embedded finance now, it, it, you know, we start to see um, that, well, I think we've all seen that big push in the buy now, pay later space. 
Um, we're seeing alternative payments come out. We're seeing uh, real-time payments come out. We're seeing push transactions um, where you're pushing money uh, through, you know, the, the OCT platforms of Visa and MasterCard to somebody's card. And, and then also issuing, you know, virtual issuing, uh, card issuing, kind of completing that whole circle. So with embedded finance, it's really completing a life cycle of a payment. You know, it can start with the traditional transaction, but then, you know, who's going to settle that and where are they going to settle it? Are they settling it to a checking account or are we pushing it to a card? Who issued that card? <laughs> are they doing it now? Or are they splitting it up into four installments? And so embedded finance really is giving, it's giving the consumer one more options, but it's also giving the, the software companies who do integrated and, and embedded payments more options on where to fund and how to fund and how quickly to do that and what types of payments that they want to take. So I see embedded finance as kind of the next step of just the traditional payment space evolving into some of these areas that really facilitate transacting back and forth rather than just one direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think any any conversation about sort of the future of payments and uh, actually quite related to embedded finance would be complete if we didn't touch on uh, a topic I know that you're very, very invested in. I've spent a lot of time researching and understanding, and that's crypto and the world of decentralized <laughs> finance or DeFi. Apart from the epic meltdown we've seen over the last uh, week or <laughs> couple of weeks, <laughs> I think listeners would love to hear your perspective on on crypto and DeFi. And I know you, you've mentioned to me you're sort of the the internal uh, luminary over, over at Payrock, but um, yeah, I'd love to have you share your thoughts. So, you, so you want to take the red pill is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, when the crypto markets crash, um, I, I don't look so luminous as uh, when things are going up, but you know, what's interesting is, I mean, in, being in payments for as long as I have been always trying to keep, my finger on the pulse of what's out there, what's coming, what do we need to pay attention to? And so it was about eight years ago that crypto kind of hit the scene and we, we had Coinbase on a, a roundtable discussion at the ETA when I was on the tech committee there. And that's kind of what got me into that as an alternative payment. And it's been a lot of fun personally. Um, I guess I like risky stuff. I don't know. It's definitely more entertaining than traditional markets. However, what we've started to see now is institutions have come in and been getting involved in cryptocurrency as a, as a form of investment. And now Bitcoin, I think, has a 95% correlation with the NASDAQ. I mean, it's just viewed as, a, as another tech investment. Now, that being said, uh, Bitcoin is horrible for transacting. However, there are plenty of cryptocurrencies out there. I can think of a few off the top of my head, whether it's Dash or Bitcoin Cash or uh, Treeb, that are kind of focused on the payment mechanism of cryptocurrency. And while it will be years and years before there's substantial erosion of the traditional payments rails, I do believe that alternative payments such as cryptocurrency or real-time payments or some of these other mechanisms for transacting will start to carve out 
a niche. And we're seeing that in certain countries already. We're seeing that in certain verticals, right, that, that have a difficult time with merchant services, whether they're higher risk or awaiting, you know, awaiting some additional government regulation. But it's fascinating to see because for me personally, I, I mean, the math doesn't lie. And, you know, there's, there's definite value that Visa and MasterCard bring and will continue to bring to the payments ecosystem, but there's definite value that some of these alternative payments bring, aside from being fun and volatile or gut-wrenching and volatile, <laughs> depending on the week. And the card brands have seen this and they have been uh, getting involved. And, uh, and, you know, I was just at a, a crypto conference that MasterCard put on in San Francisco last month. And there are a lot of use cases for this form of alternative payments and Visa and MasterCard are, are getting involved um, because one, they can help uh, guide the narrative. And I think that's great because crypto does not have a lot of safety mechanisms um, or uh, comfort mechanisms that frankly Visa and MasterCard have an excel in and we you know in order for those alternative payments to gain a lot of purchase there has to be some of that that takes the risk out of the hands of the merchants or out of the hands of the consumer and so i uh, will see a lot of these new killer apps i think come out in the next few years um, and i wouldn't be surprised if if it's the traditional payments players that are heavily involved in helping guide that narrative forward yeah, that perspective is really grounded in what's happening. And I think to your point around, yeah, they can be fun and gut-wrenching investments, but the number of use cases that sort of ledger-based technologies and, and sort of crypto, the inherent attributes of these alternative um, stores of value provide, they can take a lot of friction out of the system. They can increase access and also, I, and I think it's something you and I chatted about a few weeks back, is there's just a generational, almost demographic component to the interest in sort of demand for almost alternative economies. In a oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, Web3, the generation that's coming up will, will know Web3. And when I say Web3, uh, for instance, you know, it, that's having a, a digital wallet um, as an extension in your browser that if you were going to go play a, a video game, you know, that video game's connected to that wallet extension and you can transact with, you know, with a digital currency. This is becoming second nature to the, the rising generation, which is why I say I think it's only a matter of time because they become more comfortable with that. And if we can find ways to allay the, the risks. And also, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a case to be made to have some uh, pockets of regulation to help protect consumers. Things will really, really start to, uh, we'll start to see more mass adoption there in time as, as we go forward, because it, it is becoming just a part of the narrative, uh, you know, in that ecosystem now of Web3. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Jared, this conversation has been really fascinating. You've had such a you know, intriguing career and offer such a unique perspective of, of sort of both the legacy and the new. We're really fortunate to have you sort of within the Infinicep fold and uh, really appreciate your time this morning. And I do hope that 
many folks get to listen to your perspective because I think it's been really, really valuable. So at this point, um, Jared, I'd like to thank you again. Um, appreciate your time. And that'll be a wrap for this episode of It Pays to Know podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Pleasure to speak as always. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. And that does it for today's podcast. Thanks to Jared um, for joining us today. You can learn more about embedded payments at infinicept.com, as well as stay tuned on our blog and other resources available there.